part of this podcast is really encouraging community workers to, if they see something that's not working, to have a voice because every day we see Mm. people are listened to and there are changes that result Mm. from that. Hi, and welcome to Law for Community Workers on the Go. This is a series of podcasts brought to you by Legal Aid New South Wales. In each episode, one of us from the Community Legal Education Branch will be chatting to experts on different legal topics. We're really excited to have you all listening today and we hope that you'll learn something new and interesting. Hello everyone and welcome to the Legal Aid New South Wales Law for Community Workers on the Go podcast. My name is Kerry Wright and I work with the Legal Aid New South Wales Community Legal Education team. I'm here today with Kirsty Irving, a family lawyer with the Legal Aid New South Wales Domestic Violence Unit, and Fiona Quigley, who's a senior project officer with the Legal Aid New South Wales Women's Domestic Violence Court Advocacy Program. Welcome, Kirsty and Fiona. Thank you, Kerry. Um, hello, everybody. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we're recording on today the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and pay our respects to their elders past and present. So today's uh, podcast, we're going to be talking about the most recent changes to domestic violence law and policy. But firstly, I'd like to hear from both of you as to what you find the most rewarding about the work that you do in this space. So, Kirsty, do you want to... Yeah, so, so my role, um, I guess, to say what I find most rewarding, just to set out what I do, is um, I work as a lawyer in the domestic violence unit. So that mostly involves working as a duty lawyer at the local court um, on AVO list days and DV in the DV list, basically, as well as working at the family court as a duty lawyer in the FAS, um, the Family Advocacy Support service and then I also run some complex litigation matters involving domestic violence. The thing I love the most about the role is um, sort of being at the front line of domestic violence and working with clients who are sort of right at the coalface when they're just when they're in the issue whether it's about an AVO or for example yesterday I was explaining earlier working with a client where a mother where the father had um, taken off with their 18-month-old baby and there was high-risk domestic violence and being able to put that case together really quickly and appear before a judge and then get an order that the child gets returned. But it's that kind of adrenaline and um, just hearing people's stories and working so closely with, with people when they're in that position in their lives. And be able to give them some options for yeah. positive outcomes for them. Yeah, options and support and advice and um, sometimes try and make them feel as comfortable as possible in a really difficult time in their lives. Mm. And, and in a setting where they might never have been before, like the court. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what about you, Fiona? What do you um, find most rewarding about your work? Um, So I am a senior project officer uh, with the Women's Domestic Violence Court Advocacy Program. So we provide funding allocation and program management for 29 uh, NGOs across the state who are the WDV CASs. Um, And so the WDV CASs actually are local coordination points um, as part of the Safer Pathway Initiative. So I work um, on rolling out basically the Safer Pathway Initiative um, across the state. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a interim agency initiative and it's aimed at um, improving um, the response uh, to domestic and family violence all across New South Wales. Um, For me, one of the most rewarding things I think I've seen come out of the Safer Pathway initiative is the collaborative response that victims now get. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is... um, 
For those of you who are unaware, um, as part of the initiative, every time police attend an incident um, and identify it as a domestic violence incident, um, it um, triggers a referral um, for victims, uh, male or female, to a specialist domestic violence service. So for female victims, that's the WDV CAS. Um, for male victims, it's um, different NGOs across the state and that's managed by victim services. Um, those services um, will contact the victim and figure out basically what they need. So it's about providing a wraparound service um, and making referrals to um, local services in the area that might be crisis payments, accommodation, whatever that person needs. Um, they'll also do a threat assessment, um, which is basically to figure out the level of threat um, to a victim. Um, for those who are at greatest threat, they'll be referred to a safety action meeting. Those are fortnightly meetings attended by representatives from government and non-government agencies, and they are about reducing the immediate threat for those victims. So for me, the most rewarding thing has been to see mm. on a fortnightly basis all across New South Wales, police, health, family and community services, so um, community services and housing, um, local NGOs, um, the New South Wales Ministry of Health, the Department of Education, Corrective Services, all sit down mm. and work together and collaboratively to try and reduce the threat um, and to keep victims of violence and their children safe. Mm. And for me, being involved in meetings in certain locations, actually seeing a shift in somebody, like an individual's attitude to domestic violence. Mm. So by being part of these meetings and being involved, seeing them get a greater understanding, um, seeing the relationships between those agencies really foster at the table too. Mm. So while the work that they do at those meetings is wonderful, the work that happens outside of those mm. meetings now is also much more collaborative. Yeah. So that's I, been wonderful. Yeah, touching on what Fiona's just said, I agree um, with that. And one of the things I'd been meaning to mention was in terms of the collaboration that's involved in this work, in working with police and the WDV CAS and support services and also in our unit we have actual social work we have social workers employed and we work closely with them and I think that's a really rewarding um, aspect of our roles to be part of a wraparound service for clients. Mm. And as you say that shift in attitude towards domestic yeah. and family violence is only going to flow through the broader community as well yeah um, because everyone's connected to lots of other people aren't they? Yeah Definitely. and I, I think um, leading on for that um, victims of domestic violence don't just usually have one issue you know mm. so we're here and we're, we're focusing on the legal issues um, I guess today but um, that's not they're not usually legal issues in isolation yeah, <laughs> exactly. they're connected to a number of other yeah, yeah a number of definitely. other needs excellent thank you so um, we were going to talk about the recent changes to domestic violence law which kind of happened I think around the end of 2016 so, Kirsty, can you explain a bit about the background as to why the New South Wales government decided to make these changes? Yeah, sure. So the changes came about following a statutory review of the um, legislation, which identified a range of issues. And the purpose of the changes was to expand the availability of ADVOs and give courts and the police greater flexibility in the ADVO process mm -hmm. um, to ensure better protection for victims. So essentially there was a range of issues identified with um, police operations and court operations and, and mostly just the experience that victims were having of the ADVO process. And so changes came about because they wanted to adopt a more trauma-informed practice. Um, another key 
uh, issue that was identified in the statutory review was one of the problems was the difficulty in understanding the terms of ADVOs. Mm. So there was a big push to change ADVOs to make them in more plain English, more understandable for both victims and defendants. And then hopefully that was designed to lead to um, less breaches of ADVOs. Okay. Mm. And so I guess in terms of that review, they got a lot of feedback from the sector as a whole as to what were the difficulties people were experiencing. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that a big part of the review was engaging with lots of different stakeholders that were involved in in the courts, in the um, with the police, with the Women's Domestic Violence Court Advocacy Service, with the legal service providers, and mm-hmm. to find out what the issues are and then um, to develop changes to address those issues. Mm. So I think that's what we're trying to, part of this podcast is really encouraging community workers to, if they see something that's not working, to have a voice because we every day Absolutely. we mm. see that these um, people are listened to and there are changes that result mm. from that. Mm. So Fiona, what were the main changes to the ADVOs that um, happened as a result of that legislative change? Uh, so there were seven changes in all. Um, and Kirsty has uh, just touched on a, a couple of those already. So the move to um, putting them in a plain English format. Mm-hmm. So they changed the way that the orders were worded um, in order to increase, pe- increase people's understanding. Um, when they print off copies of the orders now, um, they've also included examples under each order of what it would, uh, what a breach of that order would look like. Okay. Um, so uh, like Kirsty said, in order to um, help reduce the amount of breaches, that might have been caused because people didn't properly understand. And maybe um, trying to also give the examples to help tell the police when something's a breach as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, In terms of coming from, I guess, a more trauma-informed practice, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the second change was to remove the reasonable grounds test um, with regard to mandatory orders. So um, the subjective element of victims needing to prove that they do in um, fact have fears for domestic violence um, when seeking the orders was removed. Um, So that means an ADVO for mandatory orders only can now be made in the absence um, of a pin-up, so the person in need of protection. Um, There was also an automatic condition um, that was put into those mandatory orders um, to prevent damage to property. So previously, um, that was an additional extra order that people had to ask for, but now damage to property is included in those mandatory orders that come with all ADVOs. Um, there's also an additional order in relation to defendants attempting to find um, pinops via social media or via their friends. Um, So I think this is quite, well, it's a newer area in terms Mm. of domestic violence. So Mm. technology facilitated abuse and technology facilitated harassment. Um, So an additional order was put in to try and give pinops a little more protection in that area as well. Um, There is also the wording in the mandatory orders was changed um, in order to protect um, PINOP's current and former partners from uh, the person of interest, so the POI. Um, So the wording was changed um, to include anybody that the PINOP has a domestic relationship with. So if the PINOP is living with a new partner, um, that partner is now automatically protected um, by um, that ADVO. Okay. 
Um, mm. There were also a number of changes um, around um, sort of family orders. Um, so condition six is one of the new conditions um, of the ADVOs, and that's basically a collection um, of all these separate sort of family law orders. They've kind of grouped them all together now into one condition six. Mm. Um, there, um, it's now mandatory to include children um, under the age of 16 um, on an order. So if there is a pin-up who has children who are under the age of 16, mm. those children should automatically uh, be listed on the ADVO. Um, the Children's Court can now make um, an ADVO during care proceedings. So their jurisdiction was increased to do that and they can also vary mm. um, an existing ADVO as part of care proceedings in the Children's Court. Mm -hmm. um, and last but not least, the uh, length of time provisional uh, orders are valid for was increased. So when a provisional ADVO was made, it used to only be valid for 28 days, but um, provisional, order, um, provisional orders will now stay in place until an interim order is made, a final order is made, um, uh, the order is revoked or the matter is dismissed. Okay. Well, that's a lot of changes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. So, um, yeah, we've just recorded a webinar, which if people want a little bit more detail about those uh, changes, you could also have a look at that on the Legal Aid New South Wales YouTube uh, channel, where mm. it'll go up in the next week. But, um, Kirsty, you were saying just before that the one of the purposes is to try and stop the amount of people breaching their orders. Mm. Is that your experience in the courts? Are the courts seeing people understanding their ADVOs mm. a lot more, better? I, or? I'm not sure if it has led to a reduction in breaches as such, but, I mean, I guess it does when people have breached it. It's, it's more difficult for them to say that they didn't understand the terms oh, yes. of the orders because <laughs> it's now being drafted. They've been drafted so much more clearly. Mm. Um, I think in my opinion, from the benefits of the new orders is particularly when working with clients to advise them about what the AVO means. We uh, represent defendants as well as victims. We work, we represent defendants that we consider a primary victim, so where they've been the victim of domestic violence in the past and then an AVO has been taken, ADVO has been taken out against them. And um, so in that situation, we need to give them advice about the ADVO. And the way that they're now drafted, it's much easier to explain what the ADVO means, what they can and can't do. Yeah. Um, another benefit is that they now include these example boxes under the order under the specific order. So it, it really clearly says the kinds of things that you can and can't do. And I think that's been a, a good change and helped clients a lot in understanding them. I recall when I used to advise clients under the old AVOs and the words were so confusing that even sometimes lawyers, police, judges, everyone was getting <laughs> confused. Yes. And those are sections that said otherwise interfere with and no one ever really knew what otherwise interfere with mean with men as something that you could or couldn't do. Um, another benefit of the changes is in relation to Order 6 that Fiona talked about, which is the family law and parenting type order. And I know that that's made it easier for mediation providers to assist clients. Um, and, it, and that overall benefit is that is that it means more people can attend mediation even when there's an AVO in place. So that section that or that order might say that you must not approach um, so and so or contact her in any way unless the contact is through a lawyer to attend uh, mediation or ordered by this or another court so it means that there's a quicker process for still going to mediation even though there's an AVO in place it won't be a breach of the order. Mm. 
Okay. Mm. Um, and I guess community workers, when explaining that to people, that they can also chat to you about what these mean, these, these orders? Yeah, steps. yeah, exactly. I think um, they can ask us for, I mean, our explanation of what these orders mean, but it is, I mean, it's reasonably straightforward, or now it is, now they've kind of coupled them all together. We talked about it in the webinar um, previously. There is some issue with Order 6 in that it's got these uh, five options, 6A, B, C, D, and E, and there's a lot of confusion about whether all of the five options need to be included in the AVO or whether only one should or whether two should or whether three should. Um, and that definitely has created confusion and community workers, if they're having trouble understanding which order should be included or need some more explanation about that, they can absolutely um, contact us. Mm. Um, and another bit of a confusion with 6D, there's a, 6D says that you must not approach, um, Jane will call her, or contact her in any way unless the contact is as agreed in writing between you and the parents about contact with children. So these written agreements, and they seem to be a big um confusion at local courts about what is a written agreement can it just be an agreement by text message then is that or is that a breach of an AVO or do we need to do these written agreements on the spot and is there enough time to give legal advice and determine that they're in the best interests of children um so that so I'd say that they're issues that we still have another another problem in the context of um, family law and AVOs is if there's family orders already family law court orders already in place um, and then something happens and an AVO is taken out against one of the parents who are involved in these family court orders and often people say, like, does the AVO supersede the family court orders or do they still apply? And essentially the answer is that if a, if an AVO is taken out after family court orders, then it will uh, often suspend the family court orders. The magistrate is meant to be informed of the orders and they have the power um, to vary the family court orders and that within the act however we really don't see that happen very often but there's scope for that happening um yeah Yeah. and so even if they don't make a specific order varying them they can suspend them so i guess the um wdb cas workers are very much connected in with uh, accessing lawyer most courts these days would have a lawyer that they could tap into because this does all sound a little bit confusing yeah. and, and very individual. It really relates to the person's circumstances, whether they've got, you know, family law orders or um, domestic ADOs, violence, yeah, whatever. Like, so I think um, a key message is to connect with your local CAS if you've got a client yeah. who is a victim of family violence and they can connect you with the... With the legal advice that you need, absolutely. Yeah. And that might be through a referral to a local community legal centre, mm. um, if there's a local legal aid office, referring you to a local legal aid lawyer, um, where the domestic violence unit, um, mm. where the courts, where the domestic violence unit is, uh, referring to them. And then there's also the domestic violence duty scheme. Mm. Um, so that's at, I believe, 30 courts across the state. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, again, it's going to depend on, on uh, the resources that are available locally. Mm. But, yeah, if you connect, um, if you want to refer a client to the WDB CAS, they can absolutely make a referral um, for legal mm. advice. Yeah. yeah. Get the, get the um, victim of violence in touch with the right service so they really understand their options. Yeah, definitely. And I think doing that early on is really crucial as well when it comes to AVOs and getting linking clients with support as well as um, legal advice as early as possible yeah. is great. Yeah. Because um, we often hear that women 
like the police are keen to take out Navy over, the women aren't so keen. Yeah. Um, so I guess the lawyers definitely can help them in that decision making or, or try and understand why they're not keen and come up mm. with some um, yeah. strategies. Yeah. Definitely. And work out workable orders that have that have the right restrictions and prohibitions so that they can work for everyone and that and everyone includes children as well because mm. often in an AVO there'll be an AVO taken out against a parent that that child really does still want to maintain a relationship with them and if it can be safe it still can be good for that child to see that parent. Yes. So not, so making sure they don't rule that out completely. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, it's good to note that the the WDVC has, so the courts that they service uh, as part of their, you know, court support service, it's 117 courts across New South Wales, mm. they're going to be at the court on the mm. AVO list day. Yes. So they'll be there. Um, if there's a safe room at the court, they'll be in the safe room. So if victims are told to come to court for the very first mention, which we hope they would yeah. be, yes. um, yeah, that they can, they can be connected. With yeah. the CAS in the safe room. Right? Yeah. And even if, as we talked about earlier, if they're not told to go to court, they can still go to court if Absolutely. they want. And it's a good <laughs> it's a good way to get yeah. um, legal advice and link in with the CAS, the Women's Domestic Violence Court Advocacy Service. Yes, and Fiona, you were saying there's other services that operate out of the safe rooms that people can tap yeah. into as well. Yes, yeah, so depending on the court, um, mm. victim services are usually there and they can assist with crisis payments. Mm. Um, sometimes there's counsellors there. Like yeah. there's, there's, depending on the local area, a number of other services um, at the court mm. yeah. that uh, victims can be hooked in with. Housing and Centrelink. Yep. Mm. And do people have to have made contact with the CADS before the court date or on the day? Can they just say, can I... They can just rock up to the safe room. Mm. And it, yep. So the reception at the local court? The registrar will, uh, at the court or the reception at the court, will let them know if they ask where the WDV CADS are. We'll mm. tell them. Um, so they're there on AVO list days. Mm. Um, occasionally, um, the WDV CADS might have... Um, contact with a victim prior to court yes. if they've already had a referral either from yeah. police or um, um, from another service and what mm. they'll do is when they ring that person they'll find out if there's court proceedings on foot and introduce themselves and let them know that when they'll be at court and where the safe room is mm. and just to go and go in there and yes. say hello and, and I suppose a good thing if they contact the CAS service beforehand is to find out what the process is to get to the safe room if they're worried that the defendant might be might there. be in the waiting absolutely. room as well mm. yeah. So. yeah they can talk to um absolutely talk to wdv cas workers um about making sure it's safe for them to attend court mm. okay well that's excellent um so we were going to talk is there anything else we want to talk about that people are finding confusing um Provisional orders, you were going to say, Fiona, oh, something yes. happened this week that yes. we're very excited about. <laughs> um, so there were two changes made to AVOs this week. One of them um, is with regard to provisional orders. So previously, um, when provisional orders were handed out, they were handed out with a handout that was personalised with the names of the PINOP and the POI, and it listed all the orders that may be um, put into place after a final order was made, but not ones that were actually put in place mm. as part of the provisional order and because that was personalized with the pinup and pos names it was terribly confusing and people thought that 
all those orders applied instead of the ones that were just listed on the provisional order. Um, so as of yesterday, that handout is no longer being um, provided along with the provisional order. So we're hoping that that leads to a lot less confusion. Mm, um, and I think hooks into what Kerry was mentioning before. Um, you know, you guys are at the call face every day. Um, so you see... Um, like, you know, how these changes, um, legislative or policy changes, um, have an effect on um, client service delivery. So if something's not working, um, report yeah. back. If that's to your peak body or to legal aid or directly to the Law Reform mm. Commission or, or however that might be, um, you know, absolutely provide that feedback because mm. um, like the provisional order, it could um, result in really, um, really great change. And it definitely seems the way that like if you're experiencing an issue with an error of the law or a process or a policy that's being applied, then it's it's more than likely that you're not the only person having that problem and that it's an issue across the board. Um, Yeah, yeah, so it's so helpful. That's right. And the Mm. other change, Fiona, you were going to mention, was that to do with the default. default yes so um, when police are entering the details of an AVO, ADVO into their webcop system their webcop system is just their this their sort of software that they use um, the default time length uh, time period for an ADVO now is two years so it was previously one year and now the default time for ADVO has been increased to two years um, uh, police still have the option of making that longer or shorter but they have to show cause if they do that. Mm. So, Kirsty, why do you think they changed that default to two years? I think there was um, a common experience that one year, which was the previous default, wasn't wasn't sort of long enough or that and I know that in other states there's a um, longer default period so it might have also been to make it more consistent with how long other states are making AVOs. Oh, okay, um, yeah, and I understand that the police in some circumstances will make them shorter and, I mean, we definitely have victims that we work with or pinups that we assist who would not want an AVO to be for two years and I suppose that might be the situations when the police are showing cause or um, providing reasons for why it should be a shorter a shorter yes. period of time especially in context of when we're assisting for example female defendants where there's been one incident that's led to an AVO and it might we might be pushing for it to be a six-month AVO as opposed right. to two years so yeah. Um, but overall, I think it was a common experience that the one-year default period just wasn't it wasn't long enough, and then it would be expired, and then the same problems. And often there was a lot of people wanting to extend AVOs because they were expiring after a year. So I guess that addresses that issue of having so many applications to vary to extend yes. AVOs if they're automatically in place for for two years long, or if the default period's two years. So yeah, mm. Yeah. And you touched on something else in terms of the laws that changed at the end of last year, which was that um, AVOs now uh, are recognised throughout Australia, I think. Was it from mm. November last year? So an AVO made yes. in New South Wales, ADVO, sorry, yeah. made in New South Wales is recognised across Australia. Yeah, and vice versa. Mm. So any kind of domestic violence order that's made in any of the other states and territories is automatically recognised in New South mm. Wales. Um, and they made. can also make variations to mm. existing orders as well. Yeah. So any order made after, was it November uh, 17th? 20, 17th? No, 25th <laughs> of November, I think it yeah. was 2017. Yeah. Otherwise, if it's made before that, it still needs to get registered. registered is that right? Yeah. states and territories. Mm. Well, hopefully that time's passed, so it's all just automatic these days. Yeah. Um, I think we've heard quite a bit about the Domestic Violence Court Advocacy Services Mm. and the Safer Pathways Program. 
Did you want to talk a little bit about the domestic violence unit here at Legal Aid, Kirsty? Yeah, sure. So the domestic violence unit at Legal Aid is a unit made up of um, social workers and lawyers, and it's a specialist domestic violence service. Um, Two of the main things and the ways that we assist uh, victims of domestic violence is by our duty services that we operate at four of the local courts in Sydney. We have um, duty lawyers at Burwood, Fairfield, Bankstown and Liverpool on all of their domestic violence list days. Um, So that's the opportunity that victims can have to get legal assistance, um, advice and representation. We also have a service called the FAS or that we operate in New South Wales, which is the Family Advocacy Support Service. And that that, take, that happens at um, Newcastle, Parramatta, Sydney and Wollongong. And that has both lawyers as well as um, social support workers that are within that service. And so the things that we do at, at the FAS is assisting clients with negotiating um, in relation to parenting matters, property matters. We provide referrals for um, various services if they need help with housing or that's mm. more of the social support work, yeah, um, side yeah. of it. And then the lawyers provide duty services. So often we'll assist um, with urgent matters. For example, if someone needs a recovery order, if someone's taken off with a child or a child's in danger, we do a lot of airport or family law watch list matters. Okay. If um, a uh, parents worried about children being taken overseas by the other parent mm-hmm. so more of the matters we actually deal with at court on an urgent are those that are on an urgent basis and then we'll assist with drafting documents as well as running interim hearings um, we are dependent on capacity so I shouldn't <laughs> say that we can assist everyone with everything no. if we if often it's more appropriate to refer a client if it's not super urgent because it means they'll have that ongoing relationship with their lawyer rather mm-hmm. than having us for a week and then or for yes. a few days and then changing lawyers. Yes. Um, we also run uh, litigation and ongoing litigation when it's generally really complex domestic violence matters and we work really closely with our social workers which are part of the domestic violence unit and they provide um, support, referrals and assistance to the client and then we can focus on the duty, then on the legal work which is um, mm. really great. Yeah, so that's a really integrated service. Yeah. And um, I think both of you have said men and women can access your services, uh, all these services set up that work alongside your services to yeah. assist men as well as women. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, so, I, I mean, uh, for court support and for their Safer Pathway initiative, the WDB CASAs uh, just deal with female victims, mm. but there absolutely are services avail- mm. uh, available for male victims. Mm. Um, so, yeah, especially as part of the Safer Pathway initiative. Um, and, yeah, so in the FAS, as part of the FAS service. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So, the, so the FAS, the lawyers can assist men and women, um, and then the the social support services. There's one service that is which is run by the WDV CAS, which is for women. And then we have Relationships Australia who operate our social support service for men, which has been a really wonderful um, program as well. And that seems to be getting great numbers of men that are in the family court um, also needing wanting social support mm-hmm. and the social support service can be provided uh, to anyone at the court so it doesn't matter if they've got private lawyers representing them or they're represented by legal aid oh, okay. or a community legal centre they can still access the social support services oh, um, and it's same with and our lawyers as well they're a different part of legal aid so it doesn't matter if the other parties are represented by legal aid we can still support them at the local courts we predominantly support women and provide legal advice to women and that's partly because we work out of the safe rooms we which are um, run by the WDV CAS and they're a women's space or a safe room for women. Uh, And so that's where we see our clients. However, we have in the past helped male victims at local courts. That just has to be done 
outside of the safe room. But I would say overall we are focused more yes. on women at the local courts and as well um, children up to the age of 16 we can assist. Okay. I've seen I've seen 16-year-old boy last week at court or man. I'm not sure what you'd say. And he was in the safe room even though he was yeah, a young person. Yeah. Um, he was in the safe room because he was under the age of 16. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And definitely we assist as well same-sex couples. Um and, LG, and the LGBTIQ community mm-hmm. and our policy in terms of the FAST is that a client can access whichever service, whichever social support service that they think is appropriate for them, okay. So, which we have they identify with. Yes. Mm. So I think the, the theme of this podcast or one of the themes is just the incredible amount of collaboration that's happening in the family violence sector, like between the legal and social um uh, services so that's really encouraging I think so in terms of uh, just to finish off this podcast what would be your key message to because it is we are targeting these at community workers yeah what what sort of key message would you like them to take away from our conversation today to help mm. people who are affected by family domestic or family violence I suppose in my role and as a lawyer, I would say um, one key tip is to refer your clients to get legal advice um, ASAP or as, yeah, as soon as possible. There's often really complex family law and immigration issues that uh, arise in relation to domestic violence. And the sooner that they get help and the sooner that they're referred for legal advice and assistance, um, it can have a great benefit for the client. And I know that that applies to immigration issues and we have an immigration team in, the civil, um, in our civil group that we refer our clients to because we don't provide that immigration advice, but they're so wonderful and responsive. And getting that advice um, quickly is of great benefit to people affected by domestic or family violence. Absolutely. Fiona, what sort of key message would you like to get? Well, you know, yeah, I think the the collaboration um, Mm. is is a really wonderful thing. Um, Look, just if community workers have um, clients um, who are victims of domestic violence, um, they have female uh, clients who are victims of domestic violence, um, and they think uh, referring them to the CAS would be beneficial, then by all means do that. They can ring the 1-800-WDB-CAS number and then just pop in the victim's postcode and that will... Uh, uh, just what's that word? Direct, direct, redirect them <laughs> to their local. <laughs> it's late in the day. Yeah, to their local WDB CAS. Um, once you've made that referral, um, you're essentially also referring them to the local coordination point. Um, if you feel that someone would benefit from going on the agenda of a safety action meeting, so that you feel that they are at significant threat um, then uh, let the WDB CAS staff know um, they'll do a threat assessment with that client and if um, if they feel that it's appropriate they will list that person on the SAM agenda and that means they get the benefit of that uh, interagency really collaborative response to reduce mm. the threat level to them um, and their children. Fantastic. Okay, well, thank you, Kirsty and Fiona, for coming in today and sharing your knowledge with community workers listening to this podcast. Mm. We'll say goodbye now and we look forward to welcoming you to our next Law for Community Workers on the Go podcast. Thank you Thanks very much. Thanks for having us, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for tuning in today. If you're enjoying Law for Community Workers on the Go, make sure to spread the word. And if you have any feedback or even topic suggestions, please get in touch with us via email. Our address is cle at legalaid.newsouthwales.gov.au 
we'd love to hear from you. So until next time, thanks again from the CLE branch here at Legal Aid New South Wales. Thank you.